Welcome to Slayer Fest 98. I'm Nick G. I'm Ian Martin. And I'm Ian Carlos Crawford. And today we're here to talk Angel Season 2's reprise. But before we get into the episode, I wanted to give my little Patreon spiel. Um, we've revamped our Patreon recently. I've revamped our Patreon recently. Um, now that we have now we have video episodes as well as audio episodes, uh, we've recently started covering Batman the Animated Series and X-Men the Animated Series episode by episode while still having other Watch Club and Watch Along Club videos and Buffy Out of Context, where we cover a random Buffy or Angel episode, and I have Buffy Watch Alongs, which are a random Watch Along of a Buffy or Angel episode. Um, And any and all support is much appreciated. It really helps keep this podcast going. Our tiers start as low as $1 a month, with access to our private Facebook group and our Discord channel, where everyone usually is dragging me for bringing up the Angel episode she again, uh, so everyone can take a shot. Uh, but yeah, any and all support is much appreciated. And now we will get into the episode. Ian, what do you think? I know you love these episodes. Well, I've uh, there's a journey for me with Reprise. The first time I saw this and the next episode, I would describe myself as underwhelmed. Oh. But I have over time come to love these shows. Uh, there's a courtyard sequence in the second one that we can talk about uh, when we get to that, that I always loved. But just now that I understand what these are doing and what they're saying, these are two of my favorite episodes in all of the Buffyverse. I love that. Uh, Nick? So I purposely stopped myself from going ahead and watching the next one because I wanted to get that hit of, oh no, <laughs> what's going to happen at the end of this episode? <laughs> um but yeah, you know, I feel like we're we're still in sort of uh, the uncomfortable part of season two, where you just want the the gang all back together. We're getting there, yeah. But there's some stuff to work out this episode. <laughs> yeah, I this one. If this makes sense, I still love it, but I do think this one is a little jumbled. Um, but I still love it. Um, it kind of like when I started the episode, I was like, wait a minute, did I start in the middle? Um, because it's just like angels just at this sacrifice thing. Um, but I do love it. And I do think these could serve as like, I mean, we've talked, we've mentioned this before, Ian, that like they could serve as like a season finale, um, because they feel so like bringing the story of the season together and like this, like really good two part with every, and I love that every character appears. I just love when everything like kind of comes together and I do think Angel sometimes takes a little too long for everything to come together, but when it does, it like does it really well. Well, Buffy is a better show at what I would say treading water. Yeah, for mm. lack of a better term, uh, you're you're it's Buffy has more stellar and delightful one-offs, so yeah. it's yeah. more successful at treading water than um, Angel is. When Angel tends to have a one-off or a bottle episode or whatever, it delights less to me and i i I think it's um partly because angel just is a little more focused on it's gritty it's dark it's whatever you know um and then has these big uh you know murdery uh evil world ending stakes and so it, it just can't hit the pause button the way uh buffy can yeah i think that's i think that's pretty accurate um so we start off with Angel in this like alley where you hear, I was like, is this a baby crying? But it's goats. Um, and it's like, basically, okay, so I do have a question for both of you because my baby brain 
has been so fried and mush lately. I was like, what am I missing? I is the 75th like review, 75 year review. Is this ritual, the demon that they're raising is like that demon coming to do the, the like 70 or are they just like two things happening concurrently? <laughs> Nick. Oh. Um, I don't know that I thought that deeply about it. It just kind of, <laughs> it just kind of felt like a, uh, what's our plot device for this episode? <laughs> oh yeah. 75 years. I also, I also like the fact that it was 75 years, which wasn't, it just seemed like a weird number to pick, but right. yeah, I didn't think too deeply about that. All right. Ian. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a little bit of, uh, what we called mystery box bullshit from Ooh. the last one <laughs> where, right. uh, you, you know, Holland has this plan and it's coming. It's you, you don't, you don't know what it is, but you don't want it to get here. Trust me. Trust <laughs> me. It's going to be very dark. And, um, I think that, Tim moves, uh, Tim Minear wrote this episode and I think he moves it into, uh, being a little more purposeful. I think even the use of the, the questy, uh, foreboding dark motif, um, stuff has a really cool purpose in this one, uh, which we find out when we get to the elevator sequence, but yeah, I, I, you know, no, it's not clear what the, exactly what the stakes are, or what's happening. Okay. That's fair enough. Uh, I was just like, after I finished this part, I was like, oh shit, I'm going to need to ask them because I'm not sure what I missed that like that demon is the home of it. Like, but right. Okay. So, and there's a little bit of that in this episode, but again, I still think it's a really fucking stellar episode. Um, Angel stops his ritual. They don't, these people were just hired by Wolfram and Hart. They don't even know what they're saying. And they're like the rituals in Latin. And they say they were just told to, sound it out yeah i love this is um this little sequence to me feels the most like season five yes that any uh sequences have felt so far it's that sort of uh dark whimsy in modern times uh mm. that i really love that there could be like uh, an ikea for evil people <laughs> that has a, a whole sacrifice kit and also i love that that's david fury the blonde guy oh. from uh, from the mutant enemy writing team who <laughs> i said in my video for this has to be a cylon because uh, he's in this he's in once more with feeling they got the mustard out and he is uh the puppeteer in smile time he has some of the best cameos in the whole show <laughs> or in uh, in in the universe universe yeah no i love that i knew that he did the the mustard guy and the puppeteer but i didn't mm. realize that was him here just as i wasn't thinking of what he looks like um but this yeah this does feel very angel season five and even the, the like plotting feels a little angel season five like i feel like a lot of the episodes will have like something he's just like defeating in the beginning that is like but usually it's like a side mission and maybe it'll come back but sometimes it's just like showing them doing something um because isn't there that episode that opens with like Fred with a flamethrower or is that season four? That's season five. Yeah. That's the okay, one. Right. Yeah. I think that's the beginning of uh, hole in the world. Okay. Yes. Um, so yeah, we get, you know, they say if they don't do the sacrifice by midnight, something bad's going to happen. And angel says, good. The other thing I love too, is angel saying, how can you not know uh, the rituals being all in Latin? Like, well, how would they work then? But it reminds me of, um, I think it's in Buffy season four, Riley's asking about the the books. And uh, Xander says, you can't just say Librum incendiary oh, yeah. <laughs> and expect it to work. And the book bursts into fire. And uh, 
Giles says, don't speak Latin in front of the books. So there's, <laughs> it's, con- it's universe consistent. You don't need to know uh, what the spell is for in order for it to, to have a function. I didn't even think about that, but you're right. That is universe consistent. <laughs> I really feel like uh, Sunnydale should have offered a course in Latin at that point. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like an oversight. I think I might have said this at the last live show that you were at, but like I like what right when it comes to like these towns, I'm like yes, everyone should have a weapon. Suddenly, I sound like the NRA. I'm like, why aren't they carrying a sword? Why don't they have a stake? Reasonable, <laughs> right? Like also, towns, why does yes. why does anyone move there? <laughs> yes, <laughs> <laughs> like now we sound like you know fucking MAGA people talking about New York. Like oh, it's so dangerous, but like these towns are dangerous. <laughs> uh, so yeah, they something will be pissed. Angel says good, throws them out, and smashes all of their shit. On um, post credits, we go to the new Angel Investigations. I'm curious what the two of you thought of like this <laughs> side plot that does end next episode. But I do, I don't know. It, I feel they could have done a little bit more with it, but I do like it. I think. Well, you were just talking about how you had that feeling of like is there something I missed? <laughs> and I, when I was watching this, I was like, oh, they just completely forgot to wrap up the B-plot in the episode before. <laughs> and they're like, oh, okay, yeah, I get, well, let's just uh, cram that into the first uh, few minutes here. And then, like, you know, it, there's a, a very teeny tiny payoff or through line yeah. uh, with the the mother character later on in, the ep- in this episode. But I was just, it was sort of like, huh, okay, well... It's so weird because they set it up in Thin Deadline. And like, Ian, we talked about this in Thin Deadline. That's not something the show normally did, right? Right. Yeah, to have just sort of a a trailing backstory for two or three episodes. Yeah. Um, But I do kind of like the, like, continuity of it all. But yeah. Yeah. I like like where we go with this in the next episode. There are a couple of... There are a couple of bits in this one specifically where they're dealing with sort of the overlap between um, the real world and the people that don't know what's really happening and the supernatural world and her saying uh, the mom saying Steve said it's impossible that and you're running some kind of scam your daughter literally (laughs) had an eyeball in the back of her head before what? you even met them before yes. you even met them um <laughs> it's so infuriating uh so su- successfully infuriating but between that and um the deposition for kate where uh, which is just gut-wrenching which we can get into in a minute but where he says uh, is this the part where you talk about monsters um which just kills me uh the it, it does make you think a lot about how these two worlds can coexist next to each other without one finding out about the other. Yeah. You know, it reminds me of um, the series that will not be named uh, the magic versus the, ah, the yes. muggles <laughs> um, that like, I, I love the idea. I think that's one of the things that sells it to kids is that this universe that of magic and mystery and wonder that can exist inside of ours. And maybe it could be real. Maybe there's a sense of of wonder and awe in that as a child, but as an adult, I find it a little frustrating how one world wouldn't find out about another. I mean, especially in season four, when, 
the sky in Los Angeles is blotted out by falling meteors. Right. <laughs> and, you know, this is not a worldwide revelation that, that <laughs> this is happening. It's, it's, it's one of those things that if you think too deeply about it, you, you know, yeah. um, you go nuts. But um, this episode grapples with those things a little bit. This and this might be an overreach, but the thing that I so this episode hits on it feels like it hits on this theme of sort of just the banality of evil. I don't know. Actually, should I? You should use such a weighty phrase in the context of an angel episode, <laughs> but just sort of like the ho hum, like hell is other people, and I think yeah. that starts with the mother stiffing them on on like pulling a full karen being like well my husband and i'm not gonna pay you slams the door and i'm like you know what yeah in a town filled by demons this woman is actually purely evil her child's life was at risk these people saved her child and she wants to argue about paying well, I think that's I, I I think that that you're a hundred percent right. That's absolutely why the big bad of uh, Angel are a bunch of lawyers. Yeah. I mean, the banality of other people, and yeah, that gets to be uh, uh, the entire theme uh, at the end of the 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 banality of evil. Rather, the, it, it gets to be the entire theme in the elevator sequence at yep. the end of the episode. Exactly. Hell, the, as Buffy says, uh, one season on, this is hell. Yeah. Uh, you know, if there wasn't evil in every one of them, they'd all be angels. Yes. And the thing I do like about this mom, like, just flat up being like, no, you did this. There was no, de- like, blah, blah, like, gaslighting them via gaslighting of her, like, I that might have felt heavy handed back then, but now this does not feel heavy handed at all. Oh no, she's um, Lauren. She's Lauren Bobert, fully right? yeah. straight up. <laughs> <laughs> My husband says it's not possible. Literally staring at the thing that is possible. <laughs> Jesus Christ, you're right. Um, <laughs> and like I do, kind of like I feel like back then when I was younger. Maybe I might have just been I was more naive. I like always felt shit like this was a little too on the nose but now real life is too on the nose. So it's like, yeah, that, that makes sense. So this mom would fully deny what she saw in front of her eyes and went to them for help with, um, the through line of Cordy in these two episodes, I think is really fantastic. Like, I like that. She's the one that's, she's the one that's like, are you kidding me with this woman? She's the one that's like, we didn't even charge you for the mandrake. Like, what are you talking about? We saved your child's life. And Gunn and Wes are kind of like, eh, she's not going to pay whatever. Um, you know, and they're the ones that like, not fully, but kind of like a give up sooner. Like Cordy's the one that doesn't give up. And I really like that. I don't know. Yeah. Cause it's not like, you know, you know, Wes and gun have reason for like, Wes has been shot and you know, it goes home and like, I, but I just like seeing Cordy is down to help. She's down. This is like what she wants to do. Right. Well, Cordy's the best character on angel. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, yes to everything that you just said. <laughs> She's uh her arc uh, it, it's funny how it all fits together well with both her um She's going after people for bills in season 1, which has to do with her desire for 
money, safety, security, and and sort of the the background she came from when she was in Sunnydale, right. and then also um, kind of the suffering that she endured at the end of season one, where she was forced to relive the pain and suffering that everyone is going through around her. That has created a care and an understanding of the mission in this season that is just a lot of fun to watch and very inspiring. And I don't know that any of the other characters really have that. Cordy has arced hard already. Um, she's already a vastly different character than she was to begin with. And some of the other characters are sort of on a journey that way, but they're not there. Yeah. Uh, it, uh, nowhere near the degree that Cordy is. So, yeah, she's so engrossing and fun. Nick? Um, <laughs> uh, I agree. You know, it's funny, speaking of arcs, um, to like in the episode just before this, the one where Wesley actually gets shot, um, yeah. and he's on the couch and he looks at gut as he's like bleeding out and he looks at gun and he goes, but they had no right. And then it's like, I was, I was like, Oh, Wesley's had his reckoning then. So when he's playing like in the inch in the early part of this episode where he's like, well, you know, this woman's going to be how she is and that's all right. Business yeah. will pick up. I'm like, Oh, okay. Like he's coming. And this is you know, happens many times and, varying degrees for Wesley. It, it just makes sense where Wesley's having these kind of continuous uh, realizations and then settling into the new world that he, from that point, understands. But with Cordy, it feels like she is just... I mean, it's, it's why we love her. She's just so insistent, like, no, I refuse to accept this world as it is. Like, that's <laughs> not right. She's she's the, you know, the cowardly we, lion or whatever. We, we talked about Thin Deadline uh the last time and it didn't hit me until you just said that the um and it should have i now feel like I, I, uh, how obvious it is his his privilege reflected in that statement yeah uh they had no right yeah yeah uh, yeah that's that's the point um and, and him having to sort of be brought into the world of the other characters repeatedly where um you know cordy has dealt with that more often yeah yeah yeah, and I think it's like a nice parallel, like almost Angel at the end of this when he's like, it's like hell is other people, hell is right here, we are on hell, and he gets so beaten down by it, and Cordy does not. Cordy is like, yeah. everything sucks, my hero sucks, he just treated me like an asshole, but I still want to help these people, I'm still going to do it, and I'm just like, I'm so proud of my fave. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, thinking, thinking about uh, bottoms, so to speak, uh, like in terms of like the alcoholic, like in terms of alcoholic, <laughs> alcoholic or depressive bottoms, uh, this episode is angels, but Cordy's was room with a view. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, so far yeah, as, as the story goes, her sort of like hitting bottom dealing with, um, the loss of the life that she had and who she thought she was and, and all of that. And then, um, making bottom requires the choice yeah. you know i'm either going to die or i'm going to get better but i'm not going to stay the same yeah. and in that moment where uh, uh in room with a view she stands up and and uh reclaims her power yeah. um and this and the next episode are are kind of a, a angel about having that step in his journey yeah yes yes i think i i love when you bring that up uh ian because uh, it's you always make it super apt. Like it 
very much applies here. Um, we cut to Wolfram and Hart. Everyone is panicking. There's the 75-year review coming up. Um, you know, someone, and I, now I forget who it was, had referred to Lindsay and Lila as like the Angels Team Rocket from Pokemon. And I, I like when they are kind of forced into a corner together because I do think those characters work well when it's like, well, we don't really like each other, but we are kind of in this shit together. Um, I like that dynamic. And I love Liza saying, Lila saying that some brown noser offered up her firstborn. My mother was right. I should have had children. (laughs) (laughs) I caught that too. You know, I, uh, Ian, I agree with you that they've got a great little pairing, but I'm sorry. I respect Lila. She is just, she knows who she is. Lindsay is just a simpering little sad boy. And she's like, no, I would have a child explicitly to get ahead and, and that compared to the scene just before where the, where the mother's like incensed but not going to pay about her child i'm like you know what at least lila would be an like is an evil mother would know it yes she would be self-aware right yeah <laughs> that's all we can ask she wouldn't say i'm not paying you because it's not real she'd say i'm not paying you because i'm going to sue you instead <laughs> and then like i've captured that demon for myself um yeah i that is a thing that i noticed on the rewatch for the podcast this season, because you are 100% correct, Nick, per usual, that Lindsay is <laughs> the like simpering one and Lila knows who she is. And that's what makes her so enjoyable to watch, right? Yes. Because like, yeah, she's a shitty person, but she is confident and she doesn't have an issue with that. She'll get scared sometimes because she thinks like, oh, fuck, this is it. This is when they kill me. But she's not like turning over a new, like she's just like, yeah, this is what I am. I'm going to be scared when it's, a 75 year review and I might get murdered, but like, I'm still going to do this. This is what I like doing. (laughs) Yeah. And I feel like, especially you and I, Nick, it's like, Ooh, like hot mommy. Take me. I love you. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, and you're going to have to specify before I embarrass myself too much on this internet. Um, the, the, the commonality we have for uh, a weakness for women who are demanding. No, is that just me? <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, that is literally like who demanding and very confident. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we love a strong queen. We okay, do. we do. Whether she's evil or not doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> Semantics. Um, so then we cut to the LAPD, and I do. I think I've just me. I don't remember if we've discussed if I've discussed Kate with the two of you. I don't like Kate. I do think they do a good job of making me feel bad for her in this arc. Yes. Uh, yeah. This is the most empathy I feel for her during the show. Yes. That includes when her father dies. How is <laughs> <Yes>. that possible? <laughs> You're right though. <laughs> well, he was a jerk. Yeah. He was like a fucking asshole. And yeah. he betraying his own daughter. That's what like got him murdered. Yeah. And her turning that on Angel as a reason to hate him rapidly, I think used up some of the, and he, um, care that there may have been in that situation she became kind of one note um and so uh but this scene in particular is uh pretty brutal and hard to watch yeah i nick what do you what do you what's your take on kate Oof, i'm just glad you did not have me on the episode with the uh, thin deadline because i would have been a handful uh so yeah this you're my, welcome uh, the notes that i made to myself on this scene uh 
were she wears these stupid tiny cropped jackets. I hate them. (laughs) (laughs) And she loves cops. Like she just... (laughs) The whole previous episode, she's defending like murderous zombie cops. Like, well, they kept the crime down. Yes. And oh then, God, that was so terrible. And 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 then to move into this episode, I mean, it was a hard a hard shift. But yes, this episode elicits more um, empathy from me than pretty much at any other point. Um, but she just gets my goat. Yeah, because the the, the the drama of that uh, it's I don't know why the line is so powerful, but the drama of the is this the part where you start to talk about monsters? That one yeah. line is so remarkable. The way it sort of sums up her plight, what they think about the situation, the the situation she's in, the unfairness of the universe and the unfairness of the world that she's in. It's such a good line. Um, and the, that actor's delivery for uh, this, this bit part that he's in is great. Um, it ties that scene together. Oh wait, you are jumping to the the. Oh shoot! I'm sorry. I was yeah. I was at the uh, yeah yeah, yeah I, I I got ahead of us. Um, yeah, the the Kate Angel scene. Why is Kate the only person that still calls Angel out about the lawyers? This is uh, the uh, 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 the the wine cellar. This is the last. It's the inciting event of Angel's evil relapse, the Gray Angel sequence. It is the reason why the team confronted him. And after Kate brings this up, this is the last time Angel said anyone, uh, uh, said any, like, if I push someone in front of a car, the car killed them, but I pushed them. You, you know, <laughs> like, the, the whatever defense you have of like, well, he didn't eat them. Yes, but he prevented them. He, he locked them in the cage with the tiger. Yeah. Is that not murder? Uh, you know, uh, the the gravity of Angel's choice and the evilness of what he did, which I thought was wonderfully done and paid off yes. really well in the episode where it occurred, has gotten completely lost uh, until this point. And for some reason, Kate is the only one who still does it. The only thing that the rest of the team call him out about is being a jerk. <laughs> You're so mean to us. Why are you so mean? Well, you know, people who have cultural power uh, don't like to have that pointed out to them. Uh, (laughs) Honestly, look, she's just peacock. I'm sorry, I can't get over it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Nick, we talked about that specific, like her undercutting the entire episode of being like, well... You know, Ugh. now that you got rid of them, the rapists and mur- and it's like you are defending this. Yeah, don't <laughs> no. equivocate, cowards. Just this one episode. Just let it be about poverty and inequity, and like let the metaphor stand on its own. But they had to throw that in there just to appeal to the suburbs, for yeah. lack of a better. On oh, the the viewing audience of the, of UPN, right? <laughs> like I don't know. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um, but like I this, and it's a shame because it is her last two episodes. But th- this is like the only time I like Kate because I do feel a little. But you you are right, Nick. I do not want you to think this means I like Kate because I spent a season and a half of this podcast being like I fucking I hate trust you. <laughs> It's there like, are a lot of characters that the thing that's that that's tough though is there are a lot of characters in the Buffyverse that turn around. Yeah. For me specifically, I won't speak for anyone else, but um, 
Uh, Cordy, wonderful example. I hate the alpha mean girl trope. I, I, I think it's kind of boring. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't like bullies in stories generally, be they man or uh, woman. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, Biff is boring to me. And that is, so Cordy's very one note until late in season one of the show. Um, for me, Faith is another one. Uh, Faith, the uh, sort of uh, bad girl turned super bad trope, like until five by five when the alley scene occurs and they add a new layer to her, it, it just doesn't play for me. It's just not that fun. So it's too, like, could Kate have been one of those could Kate have been a Cordy? Could Kate have turned into something more interesting? The show has a really good track record of doing that. Right. It does. And it's, this is why I feel completely comfortable. A hundred percent disliking Kate. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Because the show proves that they can do that with other characters. Yeah, that's fair too. And they never do that with her. And in fact, like, it's funny when think, thinking about rewatching the series, I was like, Oh, there's a version of Kate that I like, and I'm sure I've said this before, but um, Laurel Holloman, who comes on as Justine Cooper in the next season of Angel, who mm-hmm. she's introduced as like a vampire hunter who hates Angel and hates everything that he does. Like she is a much better version of like yes. the uh, the strong woman character who has, has a rigid moral stance, which is the opposite of Angel and the Scoobies. And yet you understand her the whole time. You have empathy for her the whole time. The points that she makes are valid, and but she's just not an asshole. I mean, she is, but like, you get it. Nick. Kate is just like selfish and <laughs> I don't like her. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I, I've not, that's a wonderful comparison. All of the ingredients are there in both characters, but one cooked up and the other one didn't. They're like yeah. the ingredients went in in the wrong order or too much of one and not enough of the other. That's interesting. See, I don't like that character. I like I I hate that character as much as I hate Kate. <laughs> because I also blame her for Connor. <laughs> well, look, you know, nobody's perfect. <laughs> um and I did read, and I don't know if this is true, but I did read on the Angel Wiki that was actually supposed to be Kate. Like they were going to bring her back and make that character Kate. But that's oh. why I connect okay, this is why I connect them in my brain. Yeah. That makes ah, sense okay. that you do, yeah. Too yeah, much like- Buffy lore inside the old noggin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like reading that like they fully wrote that character as Kate, but they couldn't get, I forget what her name is, the, the actress who plays Kate. She, she was a main character. Elizabeth she, like, Rome. Elizabeth Rome, yeah. She went. She was a main character on Law & Order, like in the credits character. So like they could not get her, so they just made it a different character. Wait, um, on Law & Order? Yeah. She yeah, Order, that's yeah. where she went after this. Yeah. Oh my God, is she really a cop? <laughs> it's, Angel has a bunch of crossover with Law and Order, and I don't. Well, like, that Buffy makes sense. Doesn't. Yeah, it's essentially a, a PI show. So. What's funny too is her dad, the actor who plays her dad in, in uh, the Prodigal. I've only seen him playing police officers too. You know, so like the 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 older actor typecast as uh, male police officers is the father to Elizabeth Rome, who's typecast as only playing police officers. Uh, keep it in the family, I suppose. I suppose. Um, yeah, I we we then after the LAPD, like. Again, I, I actually wrote that down, Ian. She's the only one who brings up him killing the lawyers. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> and uh, 
We then cut to Lindsay, who has who staying at his house next. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> Oof. So Lindsay walks into his apartment and we discover that a healing Darla is on his couch. And then like creepy mommy vibes ensue. <laughs> yes. So you're saying a normal relationship for Darla. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why it turns out she's very practiced at it. Yeah. So yeah. he's he's you know, he's brought a big container of blood. Again, I wonder where in LA are people getting uh like, you know, a full gallon of human right. blood, but that the mechanics of that we'll leave that aside. So he feeds her some blood, um, and she the first tip off to me is that she's like, oh, I'm so tired. I'm, I've barely healed. Everything is so terrible. And then he's like, uh, I'm going to go take a shower. And I'm like, there's no way that Darla would ever be such a baby. Yes. Um, yeah. Wouldn't show that kind of vulnerability. It, like no. in Virginia, when she was dying of syphilis, it was <laughs> fuck God. Yeah. I, get out of here. I, I don't, I don't need this. The The world can go to hell, yeah. you know? So if she's doing that, it's manipulation. Absolutely. And you know, like the dunce that he is, he doesn't see right through it. <laughs> it's, and this goes back to what we were saying before. Lila knows that she is evil. She knows what she is after. You know, her neither her means nor her ends are great, but mm. I got to respect it. Yeah. Lindsay, on the other hand, is just sort of like, I want to say failing upward, but that is usually used for people who are succeeding. I don't know. He's just, he's not really great at what he does. And he just lacks a kind of confidence that I want in that yeah. character. Yeah. Where, yeah, I don't know. It's he doesn't well, the lie. Yeah, the the you always take a shower when you get home from that place. Don't know why you're never dirty. I'm always dirty. (laughs) I love her rolling her eyes, (laughs) her utter disrespect for someone who just refuses to get off the damn fence, be evil (laughs) Mm -hmm. or be good. But but the fence riding, like she just has no respect for his lack of choice. You know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's still compensating for his father and and what he what he saw happen to his father and all of that. It's like embrace it or do, like Lila embraces it. That's why that character is so fun and res- like we why we have a weird sort of begrudging respect for that character. Yeah. My mother was right. I should have had children. I should have had a child so I could <laughs> sacrifice it for the 75-year reunion. Hell yes. Yeah. You know. Also, when he said that, I uh, immediately had this flashback to that Sex in the City episode of the like awkward, off-putting guy that uh, Miranda's hooking up with. And every time after they have sex, he has to go take a shower immediately. Oh, yeah. So, like, <laughs> weird plot point that they like, it comes and it goes. And we're just like, oh, yeah. He's just a weird, creepy guy with these like little things about him. <laughs> I, yes, I'm glad we're all in agreement on Lindsay because I've never liked him. Like, I feel like the most I liked him was season five when he comes back. Yeah. And yeah, I, uh, you know, he's going to leave the show. He's going to exit the show in a few episodes. And also, I never, ever, and I don't think the show did either, bought him and Darla. 
because, you know, Ian, we talked about this. She does say, it's not me you want to be screwing. It's right. Like, yeah. When the, <laughs> Lindsay is most fun when he's in the room with Angel yes. and they're flirting. Other yeah. than that, <laughs> way less fun. Because they do have good chemistry. They really do. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And and Tim even said uh, in the interview we did with him that they played up the uh, chemistry between the two of them. It was flirting, you know, <laughs> uh, just when I thought I had you figured out, you show up in a suit, you know, uh, the and the way David just smirks and smiles at him uh, at times is is they he's best in relation to another character, which is, I think, why they um what they were hoping to pull off with Lila and Lindsay was to have that same sort of chemistry, but really just work the best with Angel. Yeah. Yeah. And Lila and Lindsay, they, they do work well together, but it's not the way that Angel and Lindsay do. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, and yeah, I do. Nick, when you point out, I love when she rolls her eyes and she just gets up and is like, all right, whatever. Like, <laughs> because I had forgotten that's what's going on. And when I was watching this, I was like, this is weird, Darla. Oh, right. Okay. She is fucking playing this dumbass dude. Like, um, and I love that she just gets up. She immediately reads his files, stretches, drinks the blood. Like, Julie Benz is so good. And I have said this so many times. I did not appreciate her enough when I watched the shows live. Going back through for the podcast, it's like, oh, yeah, she's fucking great, right? Yeah, well, she definitely gets to play around more in Angel. Yes. And in this episode a lot, too. She plays... Yeah, that manipulative harlot, you know, oh, save me. (laughs) And then by the end, you know, a completely different version of Darla, one we've seen before, but yeah, she, she's able to sell it. Yes. Um, And that's the thing. She can sell all those, she can sell herself tricking people in all these different ways. And it's still like, once it happens, it's like, yeah, this tracks for that character. Yeah. We cut to Caritas. Uh, Do you two, either of you remember... I was like, oh, is this the episode where he, he like gets a little aggressive with Lauren? But then he doesn't. And I was like, I thought there was like one episode where he gets aggressive with him. And it's like very, maybe that already happened. I don't know. But as I, I like that. A- Angel, Angel getting adre- aggressive. I'm sorry. You'll have to be a little bit more specific. <laughs> also fair. <laughs> but I, the thing I like about Lauren is that he really, he likes them, right? He likes Angel. He likes Cordelia. He likes that group. But he's still like trying to be more of like an impartial, like neutral. Um, but I like that he does have like a he he kind of like brings a respect, right? Like everyone is respecting him, whether you're evil, whether you're like trying to be a do-gooder, whether you're a lawyer at Wolfram and Hart, like everyone plays by his rules. And it's there's not many characters in the Buffy verse that get that, right? Yeah, L- Lorne is I haven't sussed like I haven't really um, gotten to the later seasons. Lauren's arc and and sort of what Lauren represents is really interesting mm-hmm. because yeah, like he said, his place is the only real sanctuary in the show. Yeah. Um, and Angel's team, Angel destroys it, and then numerous times, yeah, and then uh, Gun's team destroys it, and uh, uh, all of that. So. Um, blows it up <laughs> yeah Lorne is peaceful Lorne doesn't allow violence Lorne treats everybody with kindness and he gets corrupted by angel as the series goes on Ooh, which right. is what that's trying to say I, I again is something I haven't really sussed out and there are uh I think I think about the finale 
of the show a lot watching this episode, which we'll get we can get into later. Mm-hmm. But what happens to Lorne in the finale and sort of looking at him at his most pristine uh in this episode versus where he ends up when he goes yeah. with Angel is really interesting. Yeah. No, I agree with that. Um I do like that Lorne has like a, oh, I can't tell you what I read from people as if he's like a, has like a client patient privilege, but he's like, but I will tell you what I overheard in the men's room. Um, and he's like, tells him about the review, senior partner. I, again, I get a little lost here because we're not talking about whatever ritual, right? Like he's talking about some, not talking about that. Or is he? So I think, um, I, you know, I've, I've also gotten lost. I think there are just a, a lot of points throughout the episodes in early season two where they're struggling to define who the senior partners are yeah. and what they want. And then you get little glimpses of that in, in certain specific contexts. But here, yeah, I don't know. I was a little confused as well. I, it, okay. it starts to shake out a little more um, in the yeah. elevator scene. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't think you're alone in that because they're basically like senior partner. That's just like, that is the word we're throwing around to reference uh, this ultimate evil. And then we get clarity on um, on that when the we realize that the senior partner is uh, an entity that is trying to manifest itself to bring about the apocalypse. I don't know. I, I, I feel like I keep losing the thread in season two on, wait, what's our big bad? I mean, okay. you did a good job of it. You just, I was like, oh, okay. I thought what you just said, so. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, um, just it, it, just before Lauren spills the tea on the senior partners, I just want to say, like, Lauren is just one of my favorite characters, maybe in the entire Buffyverse, because he is just a diva in plain sight. Yes. Uh, he makes this... And by that, I mean, like, an obvious, like, a queer-coded character yeah. where would that would probably be irrelevant because I actually don't know what the sexuality spectrum is of his type of demon. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, but there's a joke that he makes um, when he is describing, again, in trying to clarify what the who the senior partner is and what they will do or basically angel's like why is everyone you know being all tweaked out and he's like oh they're gonna get reviewed it's this the 75 you know annual review and uh let's just say it ain't read the reviewer it ain't rex reed rex reed was this like classic movie reviewer he used to be a part of the like siskel and ebert show okay. and was just like a have you guys seen like Paul Lind? Um, the he was he used to be the center square um, in okay. Hollywood okay. Squares in the sixties. He was on Bewitched. He played cousin um, uh, Uncle Arthur, okay. the like very flamboyant gay character. Yeah. I just love that Lauren as a character is sort of this like old Hollywood flamboyant Liberace esque <laughs> character, and we know it. But also he's like dropping clues about like queer american this universe uh queer <laughs> culture uh and then you know, he goes on and so like one it's a throwaway joke about uh you know this like you know iconic queer and then 
he's just he then he doubles back and says something like no you know it ain't rex reed this is a powerful like it's a it's evil this force it's dark it's merciless and he goes you know what on second thought that actually does sound like rex reed (laughs) (laughs) um i i just appreciate that the 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 little bit of gay levity he can throw into things right yeah because it is like that doesn't feel like a straight person writing a queer that like feels like genuinely like a queenie queer character right (laughs) yeah just like a very specific persona like i understand him to be and actually i think at this point he's still called the host right like do we know his name yeah Yeah. i think they find it out when they go to pylea right yeah pylea is the yeah 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 so like in essence like he's an archetype but he's a very clear archetype like i know who this character is yes and like i think correct me if i'm wrong both of you might know i didn't like he who shall not be named like literally cast him as Lorne because they based Lorne, like they liked Andy Hallett and Lorne was kind of like a mush of like this character they created and Andy Hallett. That sounds familiar to me. <laughs> um, cause I, cause he was, I think he was like Joss's personal assistant before. Oh really? Like, being Lorne. Yeah. Cause he's huh. like, he's an extra in hush in the um, auditorium scene. Yeah. He's one of the students. Oh yeah. 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 But I just, it's, it is funny because like they will try to be like what you said, Nick, the only reason I can buy this is because it is like, they are a, a demonic race and who knows how like the spectrum works with these demons, but like, they will try to be like, Oh, he's like hitting on this woman. But like, I even see that as like the way I would be like, Oh my God, you're gorgeous to a woman. It's not like, yeah. To hit it. You know what I mean? It's like, Oh my God, I love your outfit. Oh my God. Your hair looks great. Oh my God. Like blah, blah, blah. Um, that's how I always take it when he's like, quote unquote, hitting on a woman. I don't know. People, wait, you're saying people use that as an argument to say that he's not queer coded? Well, no, to say like that they try that they were trying to do that to like retroactively be like, look, 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 he's not look. He ain't oh, gay. The, like, uh, the Pylea arc itself is yes his ability to hear music and that it doesn't mm. exist in his world and all of that. The queer coding in that story by itself is. Yeah. So evident that they were definitely that that was text for them with that character. Yeah, and like his parents don't accept him. His family, you know, he's like an outcast because he does dress flashy. Like that also all tracks, right? Like yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the the dance, yeah, like yeah. It's so clear that it's deliberate uh, yeah. to me. No, I agree. Um, all I'm saying is that uh, I would hang out with Lorne. I would be karaokeing you every would. weekend. Actually, no, I don't want to know my future. Uh, but I would be <laughs> hanging out with Lorne. I would be drinking Yak's Bile at the bar. <laughs> uh, Nick, I... Yes, you you would be a Fire Island with like 10 other Lorne. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, Nick went to Fire Island with her demon friends and it's a bunch of green people. <laughs> That's actually just how I refer to my friends. <laughs> Um, so yeah, he kind of like, he helps, he helps Angel out. He like tells him about like the band of black nail, which I, that doesn't even matter. Doesn't come back. Yeah. <laughs> and says he picked up a home, home office. I do like when he's like, I am picking up one other thing. They'd like to see you dead. And we see all the lawyers just like glaring at Angel. Yeah. He leaves to go to the hotel to look through the books. Can't find what he's looking for. Again, doesn't really matter. He leaves and goes to the new Angel Investigations office. And I, so when we talked about the episode Sanctuary, 
and I will defend Buffy's actions with my life because she has every <laughs> right to be that angry. I don't think she would have ever beat Faith to death. I get the thing that makes me most angry in that episode is Angel punching Buffy. That like the like look of hurt on Buffy's face makes me want her to stake Angel. I get so mad. <laughs> <laughs> and well, not to go all schoolyard on you, Ian, but. She hit him first. I know. She I don't hit care. Him first. I don't care. <laughs> I'm just quoting the old the line. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, and that feeling comes back here the way he talks to Cordy. I get so fucking mad the way he just barges in there. He's he's being such a dickhead. And I get that, like, we and we even discussed this, Ian. Like, I forget which episode where he's like. He kind of says like, "Oh, yeah, it's because I don't want them to have to go through what's going to happen." And like, I yeah, I hate that episode. Uh, I hate that. I hate. I, it just doesn't. I don't understand why he's being such an asshole when like doing this, he could work with them. He could be like, "Hey, I need to borrow this book." That would well, be normal. I mean, my reading on the episode is he's spinning out of control, right? So yes. there, there, uh, the and the relapse metaphor is sort of like the relapse into what the idea in this case is that you don't need to be soulless to do evil right and mm-hmm. um he in this scene the most telling thing in this scene is he deliberately self-applies a very important term that he doesn't like to self-apply she says i don't even know who you are anymore and she said yeah. he says i'm a vampire Look, Look it up. up. And that his willingness to self-apply that term means that he is in the midst of a, an evil relapse, a dark relapse. And, um, you know, so the fact that he comes off as a big jerk, I think works well here where it didn't work well in Sanctuary. I hate that episode. Um, you know, it, the Lauren, you say Lauren helped him. Kinda. Lauren also switched gears from uh, Happy Anniversary, where he was trying to have an intervention with Angel and get him back on the path. In this case, gives him enough mis- uh, information to push him to hitting bottom. You know, mm. this leads to uh, attacking Wolfram and Hart. Leads to the elevator where he's the to to really hammer the metaphor of hitting bottom home. They are descending in an elevator uh, to hell, and and hell is his life. Hell is uh, the life that he lives already. He doesn't need to go anywhere uh, to be there. So I, angel, I think it's angel like <laughs> <laughs> I think it's kind of perfect that that. I love this scene, and I especially love uh, Wes saying, "Just give him the damn book so he can get out of yeah. here." And then, and then, the, like that—that beat of them taking care of each other again. Uh, Cordy ambulance, mm-hmm. um, and her doing it immediately. Like that's what they have as a pair that Angel now doesn't have alone. Yeah. No. And there's a, oh, oh. No, go ahead, Nick. I was gonna say, uh, Cord. There's also a moment where Cordy does a bit of. Uh, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Foreshadowing. Cordy does a bit of foreshadowing. Uh, mm. When she says, if it's anyone else, I would just say, get laid already. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's being that evil. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, no, it was, it, this scene was hard to watch. I'm like, mommy and daddy are fighting. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, it's the the end of the Yoko factor when they have the fight and Buffy storms out. It's always when the, the characters we love turn on each other is so painful. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And like, to compliment our fave again, the like charisma Carpenter is doing very good. Cordelia is so hurt 
that she she doesn't have a witty comeback. She just calls him a jerk. And like, it's weird that like her not being like biting or like a little bit mean, like she's just hurt. And like, she conveys that so well. And like, she looks like she might cry because she's so fucking hurt. And yeah, I'm like, Oh, fuck you. You upset Cordelia. How dare you? <laughs> and I do, I do like that. Wes just yells, give him the damn book because Wes wants him to get the fuck out of their office. And he is being an asshole. He is being a monster. And I don't know. I just, I, I, I do like it. <sighs> But yeah, it's hard. <laughs> so I do, I do like that is while I, I hate Angel in that scene, because how dare he say to Cordelia, move or I will move you. Um, I, yeah, I do think it's well done and everyone's acting really like, it, yeah, it's good drama. Yeah. 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 Then we cut to the scene you were talking about, Ian, with Kate, and I do feel bad for her. Yeah. She gets one scene. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> well, she'll get one more. <laughs> okay, fine. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. it makes you, it makes you realize that uh, probably for us to have access to her character, we needed more of her environment in the It's the problem with having characters that are floating too far from the center of the group. Mm. Her off on her own in the police station, uh, you know, in order for us to be really be invested, we probably needed more of the police and the adversity she faced and all of that. Yes. But that would have pulled us too far from the center. So it just gets back to, she's really a character that was designed for a show that angel used to be, uh, when it was a, a a weekly procedural and, um, it's just not that show. So it's just kind of fitting that she left. Yeah. That's a good point. That is. Yeah. That is a really good point that it's like the show that angel used to be is, the show that she is on. Yeah. She's a good character for that. Yeah. And like when she is like, I forget, I don't remember what they bring up, but they bring up her dad and she's like, that's none of your business. And they're like, it affects your performance. So it is. And I was like, well, shit, Kate, you kind of put yourself in that corner. So of course they were going to say that. And you know, it is, but it is insulting that they bring up her father who is dead. Like that does feel unprofessional to be like, mm, well, your dead dad would be disappointed in you. And it's like, oh, the bit, yeah, the bit where the bald dude says, I'm glad your father wasn't here to see this. That's yeah. actually, to me, the only line that doesn't land in the scene, like driving the knife home. I, I think the scene should have ended on. Is this the part where you talk about monsters? Because that's such a wonderful line. Yeah. Uh, the the you know, I'm, I'm happy your dad wasn't here to see this just to, to me always feels a little just we get it she's she's having a bad day we get it like uh too much too many notes (laughs) that's fair and remind she so later on when she comes home with her box she but she doesn't say she's fired right like or is she fired yeah because they ask for her gun and her badge at the end of that scene but is she just suspended or is that like she's fired uh i think i mean as someone who's been fired (laughs) <laughs> seems pretty final fair fair um back when nick was a cop <laughs> <laughs> that, this is my secret backstory I used to be a cop. uh so angel goes to this magical bookstore that he was went to and are you now or have you ever been mm-hmm. denver yes and i do yeah. wish the thing angel does and i like have this in my notes that you know and after this scene we get virginia another character who's like this Angel did a good job of having peripheral characters that we liked, but then they would always get rid of them after like three or four episodes. 
And it feels like a lot of times they bring them back and it's like, for what? And like, why did we bring this old guy back for him to just die two <laughs> seconds away? Like it, I get it. It's part of the plot, but it feels a little unfair, right? <laughs> yeah. But just when I was starting to think, wow, this guy's got inc- incredible job security. He's been here since the fifties. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And awesome. in the scene, in the scene, Angel is the one who gave him hope his entire life yeah. that a vampire would turn and go after another demon and figure it out. And Angel, right before this guy dies, takes away all his hope and his <laughs> sense of wonder in the world. So what happened with that anyway? Uh, I think he killed everyone in the building and I just walked away. Anyway, so how do I kill this this thing? <laughs> and then the guy dies. Like, that guy has a, has a rough arc. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and I just think it would have, I would have liked there being this like, guy who kind of knew angel back in the day who is like someone they can you know when he needs to find out about this whatever the glove thingy is well the reason they need that character right now is because uh angels giles is uh, he's fighting with angels version of giles so wes and he are fighting so denver in that role i think is redundant to the the role that wesley plays as the keeper of the lore yeah but it's I like that character and I like that actor. And Are You Now is such a wonderful uh, episode of the show. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree with you. It, it stinks. And yeah. then we have did the David Nabbits that just disappear. Yes. Yes. You know? Um, and it just like, it, I I always wonder if, like, was it just a conflict, like, conflict, like scheduling conflicts? I know with David Nabbit it was. Um, cause yeah. that guy was like in everything back in that, back in the day. But I also will say, uh, Darla looks gorgeous in this oh, scene. Man. And I love that. It's like showing us like, uh, she's 100% fine and was like biding her time to like get back at angel. Like I do, I do. I, while I wish she didn't murder this man, I do think it like is a really good, like, they did her up. They made sure she looked fantastic and that she is confident and she is fucking stabbing Angel with her with a sword. Like In the grand tradition of the Buffy verse, you know, someone is feeling their shit when they're in leather pants. Yes. <laughs> yes. Like you, she just, and, and like a thick platform boot. She stomps in there. I mean, you know, grand reveal stab. Oh no. What's happened. And then grand reveal. Oh, it's Darla. She's murdered this poor Denver fellow. Uh, and also happened to stab angel. It's a two for one for really. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if there. I'm pro- you know, I'm probably overreaching here, but that's kind of what I do. So <laughs> I support this. That's how I have fun. The uh the 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 shish kebab is kind of uh there's an <laughs> there's another one in Somnambulist where uh I can't ha- Jeremy Renner Hawkpire has uh Angel uh from the back and Kate has to stab through Angel to get to the evil person. And in this scene, uh, she stabs through the good person to get to the evil person, I think. (laughs) Is that, you know, again, it's it's a reach, but um, the shish kebab is such a specific piece of action blocking, and they've gone back to it twice in two seasons (laughs) that um, I do wonder if that was just purely coincidental or if there was something intended in that. I, I wonder, because in that moment, so you know that she stabbed him and you get that little recognition like, oh, she also got Angel. But then she looks over the, uh, she looks at Angel and is like, 
that's right, Angelus, go toward the mortal that I just stabbed or something like that. <laughs> and she calls him Angelus. Does she always call him Angelus? Mm-mm. She doesn't. She like they. She wavers right here. Yeah. Sold Darla calls him Angel. Solus calls him Angelus. Mm. Okay. Ah, okay. That makes sense. Because it felt it felt loaded and like a lead up to what, what happens at the end of this episode. That like mm. she's feeling herself. She's back to cause some damage, and she's like laying her little crumb trail. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Uh, then we get Wes and Virginia, another character who I think exits the show after the or no maybe she's in like one or two more episodes i don't know yeah tim pulls off a magic trick in this episode in having the only two scenes that make me elicit any emotions that i have for these two characters virginia's fine she never uh offends or frustrates the way kate does yeah um it's just nice to see wes with somebody it's nice to see the team getting to be happy every once in a while but i never felt anything about that relationship until this scene yeah and the two of them laying on the couch and him rubbing her hair and her sort of grappling with the violence of the world that he lives in and him understanding it's a breakup is a wonderful, uh, just nicely written little intimate scene. It's the only time I felt something for the, those two. Yeah. Yeah. Although I remember at the beginning of this episode, I was like, oh, it's... um." <laughs> right. Uh, what, <laughs> what's her... It's not until later, I'm like, oh... Yeah, that was Virginia. Uh, so, yeah, the, they may not have had a lot of chemistry, but I can appreciate that she meant something to my dear Wesley. So yeah. There's yeah. That. But then the, the, when she looks at him as she's, like, crawling onto her onto his chest, and she's like, oh, you have all these bandages, and I feel like I, I need bandages to keep my insides from falling out. I'm like, okay, you're on a different telenovela than the one I'm watching. <laughs> You're like, Ian's grandma watched this telenovela. <laughs> Swoon and faint. <laughs> um, and I, and I, you're right, Ian. I do like the writing here when he, cause she's like, would you ever consider giving it up? And he's like, would yeah. you be with someone who would? Uh, and I do, I, I do wish we'd gotten a little more of her. Cause I do like this scene. Yeah. I do think this is a good scene. It's very weird that she only, if I'm correct, after her intro episode, only ever has scenes with Wes. And they're like very short scenes like this, right? Yeah. Um, but sure. Uh, we see Kate getting home. She pours herself a drink, knocks all her shit off a shelf, looks at a picture of her dad and cries. Uh, we cut to Lila. She's approaching the Wolfman Heart office. She has two guards. Angel jumps the guards and he grabs her hand and tells her, He's going to do what he he needs from her, what he took from Lindsay. He grabs her hand, uses it security clearance. We cut to Cordy, and I love this scene. I, like, yeah. really love this scene. You know, I like that she won't say Angel's name, and she's like, blah, 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 investigations, you know, we help the helpless. Um, <laughs> so cute. And also, like, I appreciate that we got to see her, like, intensely hurt. And she's still bouncing back. She's like... We're still doing the thing. I don't want to say that asshole's a name, but we're I'm still doing it. I'm still answering the phone. I'm still doing work. And, you know, Wesley's like, I'm going to take the day off. I, not shocking to either of you, I'm sure. I, like, for sure got emotional. When he tells her everything's going to be okay for them, and I'm like, but it won't. They both end the show dead. <laughs> oh, like, <God>. fuck. 
<laughs> Ian, what do you think of this scene? Uh, I think that, you know, you've got a whole uh, series of characters hitting bottom. You've got Kate hitting bottom. You've got Angel hitting bottom. And you see why we need uh, intimate relationships in our lives Yeah, through these two. You yes. know, uh, Cordy has no friends, according to Cordy, and no place to go and can't go out. And uh, Wes has just been broken up with. But they have each other, you know, and that's the cradle of the our, our intimate relationships. I think it's really beautiful. And it's a wonderful contrast to the bleakness of the rest of the episode. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, him saying, uh, you're, uh, she says, I'm, I'd have to have any friends. I don't. And he says, that's not true. And she says, you don't count. <laughs> like that. It's so cute too. The like taking for granted of the of family, for lack of a better yes. term, uh, uh, that that sort of um, that they're always going to be there for each other. It's it's just lovely. It's it's so well done. Yeah, Nick. Yeah, I, you know, I on that line, I was like, wow, again, Cordelia growth, right? Yeah. <laughs> could you could you have ever imagined Mean Girl Cordelia from first season <laughs> of Buffy? Openly saying, "Yeah, I don't have friends." Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but she, you know, she says it, and she, like, you know, like you said, she's, but she's still in the office. She's still, you know, ready to do yet another thing to save another person. So I was just like, "Oh, look at how she's grown up." And I, I, the thing that I do like is we started the season with them bickering, and look how far we've come, even just with the two of them and their relationship. Uh, you know they. Yeah, you think you think about their disgusting infatuation in Buffy, right? Uh, you know, yeah. to this, yes, good gravy. <laughs> that's 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 a long walk. Yes, yes, and like, I don't know. I actually was just talking to someone who just started this show. They just started, I think they're like a little bit into season two, um, and they were saying they didn't like Cordy and Wes like where how they were written anymore because they felt it was just like a full rewrite and i've i've heard that critique before i don't i think wes is a little bit i do think wes is a little bit of a rewrite if anything because like we end up dropping his accent like fully um but i don't know i do think it works and like i don't know what do you two think do you, does, i'm assuming it works for both of you as well but yeah yeah I just like to forget that the first version of Wesley existed. <laughs> yeah, the bumbling comic relief. The, yeah. I get I get why that feels like a fair critique of Wesley. A lot of Wesley's movement occurs through violence. Yeah. Uh, him having his neck stabbed by the crucifix in the first season to right. getting shot to all of that. Every time he experiences a moment of violence, he's not the same character afterwards. And those moments are punctuating and dramatic and they're not it's not an arc so much as it is an event Ooh. but it it does feel authentic to me it does feel like you know that would happen with this person that would ha that they would deal with despair or sadness or rage or um whatever it may be so wesley's change uh which is incredible from being comic relief on buffy to essentially the punisher in the later seasons of uh <laughs> angel <that> <laughs> yeah it feels very it feels earned it doesn't feel um it does not feel like a rewrite to me no and it also feels in accordance with what is happening in in the larger buffy verse 
overall. So, okay, let's see. Second season, Angel is fifth season Buffy? Uh, yeah, yeah. So pretty soon we're going, like, the Watcher's Council is going to completely yeah. crumble. And so, like, Blow up. If, yeah, literally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, like, even if Wesley had still been, had one foot in that, you know, right. in that world, eventually that would have fallen apart for him. So it just kind of feels like the natural progression of someone who tried to participate in this institution and then was uh, disillusioned with that institution and then live, goes to live in the real world. Yeah, it's interesting. I never really thought about it, but uh, Giles lived his Ripper years before he became a watcher. Wesley yeah. lives them afterwards. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it, it, that is that is a smart option. See, I, I said this before we started recording, but I feel like I'm with the like two big brains here and I'm like, they're like, I like Cordy's outfit. Um, <laughs> I <no>, too I... <laughs> like Cordy's outfit. <laughs> Fair. Good. Thank you. Um, yeah, no, that like really does track. You're right. And like, yeah, even if, cause I, there's been times when I felt Wes was a little bit of rewrite, but I still love him. And I still like, uh, I, I, uh, he's another character. I don't think I appreciated as much when I watched it live until the last season. Yeah. Oh, I was just, I loved him. Did you? Yeah. Okay. And like, I will say I probably felt the same way about Fred as well. I don't think I started really loving Fred till like mid season four of Angel. Um, and I'm wondering Oddly, if that will change. Two, two characters pulling accents that are not their, their, their <laughs> actual accents. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, Fred for me, I've got, uh, I've had a more, troubles with the more i've watched the show um i think that amy acker is wonderful yes um and it's never an issue with performances with any of the the core cast um so much as it is i think fred's story is unfortunately deeply tied to the men she's in a relationship with and uh including having some of her character's most significant choices taken away uh, by the men she's in a relationship with so that they can have development and have uh, a moment. And that, like, the world has enough of that, you know? Like, um, I realize progressivism is a sliding scale, but, but I, that, to me, probably would have felt dated while this was airing, you know? It, so. was, it was a weird thing. I, I can say, well, I didn't watch it exactly. Uh. I was probably I watched the first season of Angel, like maybe the first year it had come out on DVD. So I was watching more concurrently uh, with yeah. when it was airing, and I, you know, the thing about Wesley and Fred, I just the super saccharine characters don't do it for me. So I'm happy yeah. to go to the dark side. Hence my love and adoration for Lila <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Dark Willow. Haha. <laughs> um, so. I was just about to say, oh, so Willow and Tara didn't do it for you? And then I was like, wait, no, 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 because Willow goes dark. And- <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, you know, I even had, I did think about Willow, unsurprisingly, even in this episode, uh, because there's a moment back when, um, what's her name? Who's Wes's girlfriend? Who literally, Virginia. Virginia. Literally, so forgettable. <laughs> um, but she says something like, um, as he's healing on the couch, she says, like, the demons I can handle, but the guns make it too real. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> uh, so it's it's that that consistent theme of gun yeah. violence is the real bummer. Yes. Yes. Agreed. Um, mm, 
God, where are we in my I head? just, I pulled us so far. Oh, so, no, it's fine. uh, Cordy and Wesley are on the phone together. They agree that they're sad about not having friends. Oh, right. uh, and then Cordy is in the office just as she's about to stomp out and go do whatever it is she's going to do with her social life. The phone rings again. Right. And it is, it is this mother calling her and she says, it's on my way home. And again, this is where it's like, look, Cordy's the only one that's not letting herself get so down. She's straying from their mission because she's like, yep, I'll help you. It's on my way home. I'll stop by, blah, blah, blah. And she doesn't blink, right? Like she's just like, yep, that's what I'll do. Then we see Wolfram and Hart. They are, oh no, well then we cut to the mother. A demon is on the other end, snaps her neck after she gets off the phone with Cordy. And that's what you get when you stiff them on the payment. It's <laughs> <Just> kidding. <laughs> the lesson of the episode. Um, <laughs> then we get to Wilferm and Hart. Lindsay is told by... Is that... That guy's like the... He's like the special project, right? Isn't he... They like... But is this the first oh, time the, we the see bald him? Guy. The bald guy? Yeah. Yeah, he's like the liaison, I think, between Lindsay and Lila and the senior partners. Yeah, yeah, yeah Holland di- Diet Holland Manners. <laughs> yep, that guy. <laughs> um, but, like, we don't... That guy just, like, goes away, right? Like, we don't actually... No, he's he's in for a couple more episodes, but he's uh, never really makes an impression. Okay. Uh, Holland was... I mean, talking about characters that were wonderful and then get killed off. Holland, you know, the... The the uh, warm, loving, patriarchal, yeah, extremely evil character, um, and that actor does a wonderful job with it, uh, which was a wonderful foil for um, Lindsay yes. as a as a character with a card carrying daddy issues character, which <laughs> is all over Angel. Um, to get rid of Holland and then to replace him with some someone so dry. Yeah. Uh, as this guy definitely felt like they traded down. Every time Holland is on screen, I go, Oh, the mayor. And then I realize, <laughs> no, it's not the same guy, but they had that same sort yeah, of, yeah, they like, had the same energy. Yeah. The, the paternal, uh, nice grandpa doing evil. Yeah. 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 And I, I do think that is an interesting character, right? Like that's, that's interesting. Um, and it it's works also, so well for Lindsay. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, so whatever, this guy tells Lindsay there's a vampire on the floor, then we see Lila hit Angel, and then Angel attacks Darla, who's in her iconic red dress, uh, which I will tell you, I'm almost done all the images for this season, and I was like, oh shit, I put her in black in the image, maybe I should redo it, put her back in her red dress, and I'm like, no, I'm not redoing a fucking image, because she's in a red dress, (laughs) That seems like exactly the kind of uh, dilemma that would hang hang you up, Ian. <laughs> do I redo all this work for the fashion? <laughs> right. I'm like, oh well, she wears the red dress, and I have I did make a figure of her in the red dress. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah, I'm sure that will surprise neither of you and and no one listening. Um, but yeah, then a lot of things happen. I was completely lost during the scene. I was just yeah. sort of like trying to take the emotional and okay. Part of the reason why why I was lost, I realized, is I zoned out for a split second in the scene with Denver where he's explaining, well, yes. you need the gauntlet. <laughs> but before you get the gauntlet, you need the ring. And the ring is the thing that allows Ooh. them to be real, but they're not really real because they need a body, but they don't need the body. And I was just like, oh my God. 
Well, here's no. the thing. I Here's where I think the show is self-aware about that. Angel says in that scene, all right, now you're just making stuff up. <laughs> right? Like, there's, uh, so Angel gets the, the gauntlet, kills the thing, falls out of the window for like the 10th time in the show, and then uh, picks up the ring, puts it on, and goes gets into the elevator, which is like one of the most important scenes for the theme of the show. Yes. Actually, the theme of the Buffyverse, the elevator sequence. Yeah. But but there's a recurring, um, and I don't know if this was intended by everyone, but specifically with Tim Minear's stuff, there's a recurring use of uh, the heroic journey, the heroic arc uh, to inform the theme in that the heroic arc or the journey or the quest always pays off, never pays off, right? So in the trial, Angel has to go and prove these three trials and then Darla will get to live. Oh, oh, I can't do anything. It it failed. (laughs) The trial is an anticlimax in this one. Angel uh, needs to get the thing to get the thing, to stop the thing, to do the thing. And then he does it and he jumps out the window and uh, and there's Holland manners applauding in the, the whole elevator sequence is an anticlimax by design. Um, so I, and then there are ones later on where they're trying to trigger Angel's soul, and, and um, uh, the whole dream sequence that Angel has is about a big heroic journey, and the result is it was all fake, none of it was real, so forth. The show regularly uses the idea of a quest line to, um, you know, and it started with uh, in Are You Now or Have You Ever, him trying to save all the people, and then the people attack him, and so he abandons them uh, in the in the in the hotel. So I think it's deliberate that it's nonsense that um, uh, it it uh, it works well in this because this episode is so steeped in theme, which we can talk about with the elevator sequence. But I think like. Where before Holland being like, oh, she's already going suicidal. That's ahead of the plan. What's the plan? What is your plan, Holland? And then he gets bitten and you're like, was that part of the plan? What's going on? In this particular case, I think because it feels to me like they're trying to send a message about the theme of the show, which is sort of this um, absurdist and existential philosophy. Um, It works well because they're playing on heroic questy tropes that we're very familiar with that never pay off because you know angel is sisyphus angel is the man pushing the rock up the hill for eternity and so it wouldn't be authentic if he gets to win if he gets a happy ending if he gets you know um uh any of those things anyway i I went off on a tangent there i apologize no actually i think you just clarified the entire series for me yeah Yeah, honestly like we don't need to do the podcast anymore (laughs) yeah the so the elevator sequence is to me one of the most important scenes in either buffy or angel you know when i watched buffy i i understood that there was something the you know uh, David Furious said in interviews that he never worked on a show that stressed theme episode to episode the way Whedon did, and that uh, is true in this one. But where I watched Buffy and I was kind of aware that there was something really interesting being said about 
life and had a perspective on the world and all of that. This episode and the next episode were the ones where I felt like I suddenly had access to what that perspective was. Um, and as Angel is descending in the elevator, um, and he says to Holland, you're not going to win. Holland, okay. who is not falling for the quest, questy bullshit, <laughs> says, of course, we have no intention of doing anything so prosaic as winning. And Angel says, then why fight? And Holland says, that's really the question you should be asking yourself. And that's the idea of the whole show. Like, uh, the fight is life. The fight is living. Why do we live? Why do we get up in the morning? Why do we do things? Why do we go and get the rock? And Angel is pushing his rock up the hill. He's abandoned his friends, his morality, and all of that to win to, to for the victory for the the to because the rock he thinks like this time the rock is going to stay at the top and that's just not true well you may stop one apocalypse but then there will be another and then another and all of that so why do we fight and that's angel's alcoholic bottom that's his moment of pure despair uh in this and it's so good it's so good um and i've never seen an episode of anything that was content to have its pinnacle moment be an anticlimax by design yeah you know, um, it's so powerful. Um, anyway, I, I want to give someone else a chance to speak. I'm sorry. This episode gives me the the fizz. I get all buzzed and yeah. and, and and could talk about it for hours. Nick? Yeah. So, um, yeah, you definitely clarified the show. So I think where I get <laughs> tripped up with Angel is um, I think it's very clear that, again, what you're talking to, talking about the theme of Angel is the struggle and the fight itself you know, him maintaining his soul, him doing, going out into the world day after day and just existing as a good vampire with a soul. That I get. But the thing that trips me up with Angel is that from episode to episode and season to season, there's all of this other talk, like the, uh, the big bad, if you will, um, for Angel is we have to prevent the apocalypse. Oh my goodness. This little plot device is going to happen. And then this other thing is going to happen. And we have to stop that because, Oh no, we have to stop the apocalypse. And so there's so much time spent talking about trying to prevent the apocalypse that it, it, I get pulled away sometimes from the idea Mm -hmm. that like, it's actually not about that. And Hollywood was very clear in, you know, in his speech that like, yeah, the we we don't. There is no winning because we've always existed. We being the big bad demons in the under realm, the the what is it? The senior partners, whatever you want to call them. Yeah. we've always existed. The fight is sort of irrelevant to us. Right. Um, but then sometimes, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to accuse the show of being contradictory. But like in in the episode before this, um, when Lauren is helping uh, Angel. He says, like, oh, yeah, well, these demons, like a lot of other demons, want to, like, and in, in implies the senior partners, wants to, they want to destroy humanity and return this realm or, like, take over this realm and have power. Like, there's an end game that they keep referring to throughout the rest of the series. Sure. And, and but then it seems in conflict with, well, you know what, actually, the end game doesn't matter because, like, you know, 
it's just yeah, yeah. it's re- narratively it's really challenging because the theme of the show undermines conventional storytelling yes yeah. that has a beginning a middle and an end and a climax and a resolution right so how do you drive the arc of the show how do you drive these stories if the underlying uh, underlying theme is that meaning is not inherent meaning ensues i mean to summarize existential philosophy uh in far too uh, over simply um and I think that sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. You know, we talked about the now we have a plan, now we have a plan. And that didn't feel satisfying and felt like nonsense before. And here, where it's sort of satirized um, uh, through the use of Denver and the quest and the thing and the thing and the thing, um, it works fine for me. Um, I, I don't know the answer to that question. I think that, that the storytelling is so ambitious and unusual, uh, in its use of, of cliche and tropes that we're so familiar with to try and do something that I think is even unusual now that, um, you know, I, 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 I think the answer is Angel is just way more experimental a show than Buffy is Buffy where, there, there is existential philosophy. Um, there is uh, uh, in uh, weighed in heavily in the the design of the season's themes. Every theme season has a distinct and specific theme and structure. Where Angel is just sort of is Sisyphus. He is Sisyphus pushing the rock up the hill. Another day, another battle. The re, you know the where the recovering alcoholic stuff plays into this is sort of there is a. Um, when I heard about, I, I've been to a couple of AA meetings, and one thing initially that I I found that I didn't like in AA, other than I'm you know an atheist, uh, uh, which was a challenge for me, was the the whole idea of one of the steps is admitting that you're powerless. Where to me, I felt like being going to AA was power, you know, quitting, yeah. uh, exercising power over your. Um, uh, over your disorder, dis- whatever we, uh, you know, uh, whatever we call alcoholism, was power. So I'm not powerless. I'm exercising my power in doing this. But the idea is that time is the the enemy. You know that that there's another day, and there's another day, and there's another day. And I, the, one of the developing um, aspects of sobriety is how long do I have to go before I get to be normal again? Mm-hmm. How long do I get to go before I don't need another drink before I could drink like a normal person? And the admission of powerlessness is, is that that never happens that you don't get to drink again. And I think that carrying that back over to angel, I think that, Angel regularly in its own storytelling is undermining the idea of a happy ending or a climax or a a finale over and over again for the same reasons, because it would, because it would be inauthentic to Angel's character as a recovering alcoholic, as a vampire, as, as recovering from evil. Um, in I will remember you angel gets a happy ending with Buffy for a day and the world is at risk of falling apart. And so angel literally kills the demon that gives him his happy ending with a clock, 
he has that the clock and shatters the gem in the demon's head with it, which is the idea that there is no happy ending. Like time, there's always another day. Time moves on. Time goes forward. These things, these things don't end. The battle goes on. So let's go to work. Is is the show's return to? Is the show's call to action? And that works with the alcoholic motif, and that um, is explained in this elevator sequence um, as they descend. And it's the reason why uh, the finale, not fade away. While I think it has some problems in the rush to get there, I will argue for why that ambiguous ending is perfect for angel and the show because the battle goes on because it would have been an inauthentic idea for this show about this character to end with a big victory and a hurrah and and all of that no i think you're right i think you're right about that i like you nick i struggled with it's weird because like i both love this elevator scene but there's like a few things where i'm like but like you said, Nick, they will say, well, we have a plan. And it's like, fine. We did like what Holland says here is so good. And like, I would say that I do agree with you, Ian. It is, that is the show, right? We're saying what the show is, Yeah. but it reminds me of amends, which is an episode. I also did not appreciate till I went through, till I like talked about it on the podcast and like Buffy's speech at the end where she's like, it never ends. We have right. to keep fighting. <laughs> That's right. I, I've called Angel, uh, Amends Angel the Show episode zero because yeah. all of the themes of Angel's show are built into that. Then uh, a strong is fighting hard, painful key every day. Yeah. And we can do it together, you yeah. know, um, and that idea of right. intimacy and relationships and all of that is is so well summed up in that episode. Yeah. And I just like, I kept thinking of that and I just, I do really love it's bleak, but not too, I don't know. It is bleak, but I still love it. The idea that like, oh, we're not fighting. Like Wolfram and Hart isn't looking to win. They are existing. And, you know, to, to not to undercut your serious, well thought out point, but it's like showgirls. There's always <laughs> someone younger and hungrier coming down the outside. No, no, please undermine. I want it. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I mean, that's what I kept thinking of. It's like, it's hilarious that that quote does really, but it does. And like Holland says, like, you know, Angel tries to do his posturing of like, I don't give a shit. And he's like, you've got the tiniest bit of crap left. Otherwise you wouldn't be on this kamikaze mission. Mm. And like, yeah, and it's it's so fitting too for Angel as a character being pushed to his low point by a father character, you know, <laughs> yes. uh, yet again. I was gonna say again, one more time. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I like you, Nick. I do struggle a little bit with like, well, but they do always say they have a plan, and then Holland being like, "There's no plan. We're just like doing this. We just always will be here." But I, I, I like that notion. I do like. That's what I like about Wolfram and Hart is that like. They are an evil law firm, but they're not really like they would probably say they're neutral. I would say they're neutral evil, where it even though we do talk about a plan, it feels like they're just like, nope, we don't care. They don't care about what's going on. They just like, yeah, if a demon comes with them, they will help them. Yeah, if like the senior partners say do this, they'll do it. Like they, yeah, maybe a more, um, interesting exploration of some of the ideas is uh in firefly which is a similar um 
similar setup. Firefly, though, explores it through the perspective of chaos and order, mm-hmm. where the inner colony planets are um, order at one end of the extreme and the outer rim, the the black um, is where the Reavers exist, and that's just pure chaos. And the Firefly uh, Serenity uh, exists where family is, which is the idea of home and all of that, exists somewhere in between those things yeah. regularly. Um, it might work a little better than it does on Angel, but I do agree that I think this is one of the reasons why Angel has such high highs and such low lows is because its theme is almost set up in adversity to its storytelling, because storytelling has a, a beginning, a media, a beginning, a middle, and an end. You know, there's sort of the 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 sense of closure, and then and then that's it. And Angel kind of works well that way, sort of in the individual day. But that kind of storytelling under the the theme under undermines um, sort of the season arcs a little bit more often. Yeah, yeah, I guess yeah, that could be. You just aptly put what the issue is. Yes. Um, also, I don't know if either of you can explain. I didn't fully understand. I, I liked the the drama of it all. When they opened the elevator, he's like, this is a one-way trip. If we go down, we're going down. This is going to be hell. This is home office. And then the doors open and it's LA. I'm a little unclear. There. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. Uh, yeah. Where, where you're going... I cannot follow because it all falls apart. <laughs> Nick, do you have a, do you have a, um, I mean, yeah, but I think it's everything that you guys just said. I think you get it. Right. I think it's a heavy handed metaphor, but I think you get it. <laughs> it's right. It is just, it's just theme. It's just metaphor. But if you're looking for how the lore and how the lore works. And so what was the 75 year thing? And if angel had done the real question is if angel had done nothing, would anything bad have actually happened? Uh, <laughs> you know, honestly with, with a fair amount, like as I was alluding to before with their fair amount of angel, I'm just like, eh, I'm just not going to stare too closely at that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to yeah. let it be what it be. And, uh, yeah, in this case, yeah, it's just, it's all for, it's for the existentialism of it all. Right. It's, and That's- also, you know, if he hadn't taken him on that long elevator ride to the, then just spit him back out in LA, we wouldn't get this like, really over the top emo scene of first <laughs> angel moping through uh you know the like skid row in LA and then uh Wesley clutching a book on a couch looking sadly into the distance <laughs> and then okay in a real actual sad moment Kate you know yeah. has some booze and pills out and it's not looking so good for her there's an Easter egg in there by the way that I love so mm. Kate is the actual mirror for angel at this part of the arc during the uh during the deposition everything the officer says about what you have done is you've uh removed yourself from the stabilizing influence of the other officers angel fired his whole team you know like uh, uh Kate went gung-ho on this quest and abandoned the life that she actually had and so Kate is Ooh. committing suicide right before Angel attempts to commit suicide, soul suicide with Darla and lose his soul. But as Kate reaches into the uh, medicine cabinet to grab a bottle of pills, the pills are from Manor's Pharmacy. Oh. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, <laughs> Which, I cannot believe you caught I mean, I can believe that you caught that, Ian, but holy crap. <laughs> Hold on, I'm still not catching it. 
Holland Manors Pharmacy. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, that's real bleak. And now that, that makes is. me feel even more sad for her. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Oh, I mean, that's, and she's looking in a mirror. So, like, that's, that's the whole uh, mirror motif between the two of them. Shit. Um, wow. <laughs> I didn't, oh, God, now I feel dirty. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. Uh, it's again, the, the real dark parts of uh, the series are when, when the parts kind of overlap with our world a little too. Yeah. Much. It's yeah. like, okay. So even in the Buffy verse, they have their own. Uh, oh God. What is it? The family that caused the opioid epidemic and the, the Sacklers. <laughs> so I was just going to say, pharmaceuticals. Yeah, exactly. Holland matters. Um <laughs> So then as all of that is happening and then we get sort of the tail end of Angel taking the most emo walk through LA, he walks back into the hotel and then he hears somebody's calling the hotel and the voice message goes off and it's Cordy, uh, Cordy's little message yeah. about, hi, you've reached Angel Investigations. We help the hopeless just as Angel is looking so pitiful and yeah. so hopeless. <laughs> and the another parallel here also i was like was J. chris richards like sick this week because he like pieces out at the beginning and we never check back in with him till next episode um but we get a montage of like where all the characters are and once again i love that cordy is not moping or sad she is leaving work and going to help this family like yeah. she's She's she is also sad. She is also pissed, but she's not like being like she's not spiraling about it. She's not moping about it. She's like, yeah, this fucking sucks. Well, I got to do do this thing. And like, that is how I wish I could be in real life. It is not how I am. But like, that's what I would like strive for. And that's the kind of like, I mean, and I don't mean to sound like someone who's like, oh, you should pick yourself up by your bootstraps. I don't mean to be that. <laughs> like, I think Cordelia organically is like this. I don't think she's being like, oh, I can't. Like, I think she well, just, that's I, how she is. I think what you're saying is she's inspiring for who she is, but yes. she's not saying that she should be used as a model for how everyone should right. be. Yes. Right? Yes. It's not that depression isn't allowed, but in a, a moment of struggle, she's an inspiring character to yes. to to look towards. Yes, thank you for saying that smarter than I was. I was <laughs> or, like, I don't think I'm saying like, oh, depression isn't real. Look at Cordy. <laughs> or, <laughs> because I am very so much sli- depressed. <laughs> yeah, or said slightly differently. If I too were scripted, my depression would look different. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> um, Angel walks into his room, clocks that Darla's there uh, in her red dress. And she is, I don't think she quite knows why she's there, right? I think she knows. Okay. Because oh, she, she's been goading him this whole episode. That is fair. That is fair. Just she's like, don't toy with me. And he's like, I want to feel something besides cold. Also, um, Ian, I just have to say, but, if you show up at your ex-boyfriend's place, you let yourself in, you are dressed to the nines in a killer red dress, which as we know, <laughs> is peak 90s, early aughts fashion. Yes. And you play a little like, oh, hello, stranger, but I'm the one standing in your bedroom. You know exactly what you have to do. <laughs> fair. Very fair. Uh, they fuck. And I do love the like parallels between the way this ends after he's had sex and the way uh, Surprise ends with like, there is a thunderstorm. He wakes up gasping like, 
even I don't during, know, I think that's really good. Oh yeah, and even during the scene, there's this like panning camera angle that goes over his back, and you see his goofy little tattoo. And I'm like, oh, this is just like a surprise. Like the <laughs> even even some of the way that the shots are composed. Although yeah. I have to say, I didn't make the connection between the two episodes because I pronounce uh, surprise. Uh, rep- I say in the British way. So this episode, I was going into it watching, being so excited to watch Reprise. Ah. <laughs> and it wasn't until uh, it, I was, yeah, I was just like, oh, oh, surprise. Repri- okay, I get it now. These um, two episodes echo each other. To show what a fucking ditz I am, I was just saying the parallels, and I didn't realize that the <sighs> names were like... <laughs> Go, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I... I think it's a really good, this is like a really good two-parter. And I, the thing I like about this two-parter, which is something I love in like a arc is that while it's be continued, it's like that little beat at the end, but we're not left hanging with like the story. Like, you know, he, he did the thing. He got the glove. He, you know, fucked up that demon, whatever. He like took the ride to hell with Holland. And like, we did complete that right it's like the character's story that's like carrying over yeah i um lonnie uh describes it as a, the difference between a cliffhanger and a game changer mm. you know uh a cliffhanger is the character is hanging on the side of a cliff are they going to get out of it a game changer is the world is different and we don't know exactly how yet but the world this is going to be huge uh what's happened what has just happened and that is why I hate it. <laughs> uh, it, it. You know, there's a very particular way that the scene is put together. And um, the, I, I, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. Uh, unfortunate metaphor aside. And then I'm out all of a sudden. And the, the reason why is Angel waking up in bed, gasping his chest, makes no sense whatsoever. Yes, There's correct. no explanation for it. Uh, spoiler alert for the, the next episode. <laughs> the, it, it, it means nothing. It is purely a device to play on us, the audience. And I hate that. Anytime there's no explanation in the world for what is happening it it's just there to in, induce a moment of drama and and whatever for us the audience i hate it you've lost me and <laughs> there is no reason given the events of the next episode that angel is writhing around in pain no reason especially with the thunderstorm you know that like you did not have to cut the episode this way like, if they wanted a cliffhanger or whatever just Darla bites his bottom lip. They're having sex. She starts laughing. The camera pans to the window and lightning and thunder go off. End of the episode. Uh, That would have been fine, but it drives me nuts. Uh, The more I think about like, wait, but why is he, why is he crawling? And at the beginning of the next episode, why is he crawling out the, why? (laughs) Wait, wait, I, I thought it was very apparent what they were trying to do. And I was like, well, that's silly, but I'm on, I get what they're doing. Like to me, that last moment is supposed to make you go, Oh no, did he lose his soul again? Right. And then uh, then immediately, immediately the the answer to that question is, and Darla said it out of her own mouth in like the second episode of the season, what you and I had wasn't real love. Like that could never happen. Buffy was just, you know, some other girl. So like, it answer question answers its own 
it, it, but then, but why is he? Why in the beginning of the episode is he writhing around in pain and crawling out into the rain? Uh, look, I am not answerable for the dramatics. Uh, it's, I mean, like I know that I just spent. I, I, just, I just went on a huge uh, yeah, dramatic know, just, tirade about the elevator life. sequence, <laughs> right? No, I completely understand. But one of those ha- is steeped in theme that I find beautiful and meaningful about like my own life. This is just there to have a cliffhanger or, or, or rather to just to, to end the episode on a moment of like, huh, is he about to lose his soul when we already know that. Uh, it doesn't happen without perfect happiness. Wes has already said to Cord, do you realize how rare that is? Perfect happiness? Like, we already know. So, okay. While you you provided a beautiful thematic interpretation (laughs) of this episode, I want to do my duty as the trashy telenovela supporter to be like, yeah, that's the point. There is no deep theme here. It's just, oh my goodness, they had raunchy sex, and now I'm getting like a little bit of drama as like the cherry on top. That's it. Well, That's when all it I, is. I would rather be you than me, because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think it, it's it's more fun to have fun. And the uh, the one thing that when I posted that, I mean uh, that rant in the video that I did for this one, uh, I think a fan said, "Yeah, well." Angel is a huge drama queen. Mm-hmm. So, and I went, oh, oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, the two other former emo kids in this, or maybe current, uh, just adults uh, in this yeah. recording can tell you. <laughs> he's, a fu- he's a fussy, fussy drama queen. You got but peanut butter on the bed. <laughs> I, will, I will say, I thought of it like, so I have started teaching. Um, at college and my schedule is like wacky right because it's i'm teaching at college so it's not like a monday through friday my days have been getting so jumbled and but i'm i'm on unemployment as well because i laid off my full-time job thursday night at like two o'clock in the morning i like a little bit had to pee and i shot up in bed and was like oh my god i forgot to email my students their assignment and i forgot to apply for unemployment and now it's saturday and it's too late and i was like And then I was like, oh, no, it's not. Tomorrow is Friday. I can do this when I wake up in the morning. Like, I did have, but as I just exposed myself as a, you know, emo adult, I, that's what I thought of it as. He, like, woke up being like, shit, I must have lost my soul. And then it's like, oh, I didn't. Okay. Well, that's way more fun than my take on it. So I'm with you. Uh, one minor thing we did it um when we got to do an interview with tim minear uh and specifically about this episode um there were there were fan questions uh directed at him and one of them was about specifically about there are two things that are baffling one are the exterior shots of the elevator literally descending into hell the the cg animated shots (laughs) when we know that it's not it's another bait and switch of yeah. It is exactly this type of thing that I'm complaining about. And it's nonsense. The elevator's not descending into hell. It's not going anywhere. So to show those external shots is also a cheat. And then this bit where Angel wakes up in bed in pain, and Tim specifically said, and I, who knows how things occurred, he said neither of those were in the script. Neither of those were intended. Those were yeah. uh, dramatic decisions made by the director and uh, at the uh, after in in post production. 
So, you know, uh, there's always a million hands involved in, in the making of a show. It's just interesting to see how things turn out one way or another. Again, with Angel, you just don't squint too hard when you look at it. Just, yeah, you know, exactly. It is what it exactly. Is. <laughs> we all have it. We all have our soapboxes. Mine happens to be uh, Angel being a big drama queen about his soul. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so one, I want to applaud the two of you. I was like, oh, well, it's only gonna be three of us. This recording will be really short, and we have now maybe recorded the longest Angel episode this season. So, <laughs> I am oh dear, my very oh, proud my. of both of you. Um, yeah, let's uh, get to the end favorite scene. Ian, I know what your answer is, but yeah, tell us. <laughs> well, it's it's the elevator sequence. It explains, uh, it, it it explains and justifies everything that's wonderful about Angel the Show. And as Nick pointed out, a lot of the things that don't work about Angel the Show, and um, uh, kind of highlights uh, the thematic, the themes of both Buffy and Angel. And I love it. All right, Nick. Um, I love Lauren to death. Um, I would totally hang out with him. So I have to say it's the big chunk we get in the middle where he manages to fit in three gay jokes. Cause there's also another one where he says that the only thing that can't be killed on earth is an Andrew Lloyd Webber musical. <laughs> I miss that line. <laughs> um, mine is, I, it's like a tie, but not quite a tie. Definitely. Number one is Wes and Cordy on the phone just because we hadn't really gotten a moment like that between these characters. And because I don't know Angel as well as I know Buffy, I'm not sure if we get many more, but like, you know, so far for the podcast, this is one of the first moments where it's like, oh, we're family of like them saying it, not with Angel there. Like they have, they have, you know, given us that time and time again, but it's like, oh, the group's together, you know, she's serving Angel blood. She says we're family, but it's never been just Wes and Cordy like that and i just it made me tear up i loved it i love them i don't want i don't want to get to their death scenes but then like 1.5 would be the elevator scene because i also love that favorite outfit nick uh so i'm gonna go same scene lauren is wearing a sparkle mock <sighs> turtleneck with like a choker like a silver choker built into it and then there's this like he's wearing a navy blue blazer which the boldness to combine black and navy blue only lauren could only uh and it's got like this like quilting and then again more bedazzling lauren what? is an icon <laughs> and the boy band hair oh my god oh i literally the gelled frosted tip <laughs> how dare you oh, it's so awesome he looks incredible <laughs> Perfect. Ian? uh oh yeah lauren there's something you know uh, lauren always looks amazing something about that choker there's something about that that's just a little that's just a little it's just a little hot a little sexy <laughs> oh, yeah. like it's the extra mile i don't know even like just uh, looking at that scene i'm like is it singles night at caritas because he looks good as the gay man in this recording i am like <laughs> letting you all down because i did not have lauren at all because um, you you're like the red dress you you're I just do. all about the red dress i do i love that red dress but <laughs> It is closely followed by, I do like Cordy's outfit. I like the outfit she wears in these two episodes. The like, I don't know. The like, her like tight tank, like the tank, the like tank she's wearing fits really well. And it's like a yellow corseted number. Yes. It's like, I love it. Cause it's yeah. Okay. I was like, is it yellow or is it like a green? Like, cause it's like one of those like in between colors. Um, Mm. 
where like in certain scenes, I was like, wait, is this green? No, it's yellow. Um, I just, I really, I think that color really works with like uh, her skin tone, her new hair color. She has, maybe she puts them on, she has hoops on, I think. I love a hoop because I'm a Puerto Rican stereotype, you know, hoops always, I'm always buying a hoop. Um, what grade do we give this episode, Ian? Uh, this is probably a 10 for me. A. Nick? Uh, I'm going to go B plus. Okay. Okay. I think I do uh, A um, because there's a little bit of like, there's a little bit of like meandering at the top, but then it gets so good. And if you subscribe to our higher power tier on Patreon, you get to add your favorite outfit, scene, and grade into a SlayerFest 98 recording. Here's Patreon subscriber Angel Morales with his. Hey, my name is Angel Morales, and my favorite scene is Holland's speech to Angel in the elevator. Where he starts out a bit disheveled and he's slowly tightening up his tie as he's getting to his point, which perfectly encapsulates the series for me. When he says, our firm has always been here in one form or another. The world doesn't work in spite of evil. It works with us. It works because of us. And my favorite outfit is honestly just Angel in that long black coat. I think it sets the tone uh, for the show, for the episode, and... I've always wanted a long black coat because of him. Though Cordelia's outfits are always great, and Lauren is always a showstopper. I give this episode a B plus. I think it did a great job interweaving story arcs, ending some story arcs, and then setting up some things to come. Thanks. All right. Well, thank you both for doing this. Thank you all for listening. I am. I love that we like the three of us. When normally there's four people, but Ian's mush brain forgot a fourth. We did almost a two hour long episode on this, but I feel like there's just so much I talk about in these two. I love it. This was a lot of fun. I like, I knew I'd have fun with the two of you recording. And uh, yeah, if you like Slayerfest 98, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, anywhere else you get your podcasts, please subscribe and give us a good rating. If you like us, you can find us on all social media platforms at Slayerfest X 98. If you want to follow me, I'm at Ian X Carlos. Ian, where can everyone find you and your channel? I'm youtube.com slash passion of the nerd. And I say that uh, without shyness or embarrassment on this episode, because we just published a video. The episode guide for intervention is up. Um, if you enjoy my uh, melodramatic, uh, heavy, emotional, uh, philosophical ramblings, then that's the place to go find them. <laughs> and Nick, where can everyone find you? Um, I am behind the scenes at Geeks Out and at FlameCon. Um, so follow what we're doing over there. Go. And, uh, we'll see you all next time. Bye.